podcast series Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. In this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate and spend 15 or 20 minutes chatting to them to get some insight into their thinking. This week, our guest is Tom Hansen. He's Head of European High Yield at Aegon and co-manager of the £530 million Aegon High Yield Bond Fund. The fund looks to provide a combination of income and growth over a seven-year period and is currently yielding nearly 7.5%. The fund was awarded an A rating at the start of this month by our team of fund analysts. Tom, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on your fund's new Square Mile rating. Morning, Jock. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Now, Tom... Let's just jump straight in here. Um, we've had a couple of uh, monthly central banks uh, saying they're not going to raise interest rates. Have we seen the peak of the interest rate cycle? Um, uh, or is it just central banks pausing for breath and, and the next move could be up again? Or, or do you think we might be going the other way at some stage next year? Well, clearly that's been the focus for a lot of fixed income investors uh, for some time now, and, and rightly so. Um as you'll know, Jock, in high yield, it being a low-duration asset class, it's not always our primary uh, focus, but it's, of course, uh, of interest to, to all investors. Um, look, I think it's a tough one to call. Uh, it seems clear to me, at least from my perspective, what you can say with certainty is we are far nearer than the top than we are the bottom. Um, clearly, recent inflation data, thinking of that US CPI print we just had in particular, has kind of been supportive of this narrative. Um but like I say, high yield, not that rate sensitive as an asset class. Um, but certainly from terms of our positioning, you know, we've been happy to lengthen up a little bit of duration as we've gone up in quality, adding double Bs, adding some investment grade to our portfolio. I think, you know, it may well be that we have to get used to higher for longer. Uh, I certainly don't think we're going back to the environment of, um, you know, zero, uh, zero or near zero interest rates anytime soon, if at all, quite honestly. So very much towards the top of the cycle at the moment, but we don't know quite whether that's peaked or not, but get used yeah. to them being higher anyway, regardless of whether we're at the peak or not. Yeah, indeed. I think that's that's something we're going to have to get used to. Like I was chatting to many clients um, over the past few months and, you know, there's, there's sort of a consensus out there, you know, higher for longer is the question we're asking ourselves. But, you know, one of my clients said, well, is it going to be higher forever? And, you know, the response to that is just think back to where we were pre-GFC. You know, we've got used to this environment of sort of uh, low or zero or near zero interest rates. So so that quantitative easing gets taken away, that synthetic pressure to keep the lows gone. So effectively, and so on that basis, then, um, what's the case for investment case for high yield when you're talking to your clients, given that, you know, a retail investor could go out there and get, I don't know, four or five percent from cash or government bonds when three years ago, that's probably what you were offering. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we, we always think about the investment case in, in in two parts for high yield. So one, you've got to think about the secular investment case. And that's effectively why should I always be invested in high yield? And we do think of high yield as what we term an evergreen asset class. Um, I think, you know, the number one reason for being invested in high yield from a secular perspective is just go back and look at returns versus uh, volatility over the past 20 years or so and look at that across a broad swathe of asset classes and you know what you will find is the global high yield comes out incredibly well so having offered um well sorry i should say having delivered 
uh, pretty much all the returns of global equities, for that as a comparator, uh, over the past 20 years for a fraction of the volatility. So look, for making an allocation case today, I will say it is tricky within, if you, high yield's a hybrid asset class, right? You can include it within the fixed income space. You could also think of it versus equities. And I certainly think versus equities, um, it's a bit of a no-brainer to be allocating to high yield at this point in time. You've got an almost equity-like return, high single-digit yields, um, and a fraction of the vol, a fraction of the downside risk. To your point on, well, why wouldn't I just go and get it from investment grades? I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that. If you're of a more uh, risk-averse disposition, then I think it's fair to say, you know, given that spreads are uh, admittedly quite tight in the high yield space, and it's the risk-free rate that's obviously seen the, the material change, you know, you might want to take that to investment grade. Now, I don't disagree with that. Um, what I would say is that high yield offers well, a yield, as you've alluded to already, that we haven't seen for quite some time. You don't often get uh, many uh, occasions or chances where you can access the asset class on this type of yield. And when you have had that, um, the forward returns have, have tended to be incredibly positive. So I think it's partially about how much risk you're, you're willing to take. Um, the other thing I think that's sometimes often overlooked about high yield is it's it's got quite a defensive break-even profile. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, and I think, you know, people don't generally think of high yield as a defensive asset class. But, you know, there are aspects about the shape of return that high yield can provide that are defensive. And if you take your yield, which is high, and your duration, which is low, uh, and, you know, the, the division of one by the other leads to your break even. And effectively, you know, that is what you can think of as a margin of safety. It's effectively how much yields have to rise by the rates going higher, if you were, you know, that way inclined, or spreads going wider, which perhaps might be more likely. Um, before you start incurring a loss on a total return basis, excluding defaults at this moment in time. And that's, you know, two and a half, three percent in high yield. So, look, I think there's plenty to like in the asset class. I think there's plenty to cautious about. We shouldn't forget that. And then that's certainly reflected in some of our positioning. And I think, yeah, look, we'd all like spreads to be a little bit wider, but let's not blind ourselves to the fact that it's that yield that drives your total return. And you mentioned there the risk of default and you're a bit more cautious in some of your positioning. I mean, can you just talk through what's causing that? Is that because as companies come out of their current loans that they've got with, with you guys, they're having to refinance at a whole different level and that's then putting pressure on them? Yeah, I mean, there's two things, right? I mean, there's one, if if you're a believer in a recessionary environment, I'm not necessarily sure we are. Um, that's obviously going to put pressure on earnings and put pressure on fundamentals. And we can talk a bit more about that. But I think to your point, yeah, it is probably more that the, the, the refinancing issue. So, you know, companies have had years and years and years of easy financing conditions. And a bit like when we talked about rates at the start, those, those days have they come to an end. And, you know, I've seen good quality companies refinance already in the past couple of months within the European high yield space. Um, you know, refinancing their debt that had a one handle on the coupon um, and replacing it with something that had a six handle. Now, that's a material change higher. And the way the market is right now in high yield, particularly in Europe, it's only really allowing the refinancing of the better quality companies who are bringing the better quality deals. And by better quality deal, I mean what we call um, a less aggressive UOP, so use of proceeds. So typically, if you want to just refinance your debt, that's that's fine. Um, if you want to fund a dividend to yourself um, as a sponsor or an equity holder, that's obviously turned aggressive. So it's more the former that gets done. But what you're seeing is high-quality companies with high-quality use of proceeds taking pretty punitive repricings of their debt. Now, 
when that shifts to the lower rated companies and the more cyclical companies and the more levered companies, when they face that environment, if I'm looking at the high quality companies thinking, well, blimey, that's a bit of a step up in interest costs, um, you know, what's it going to mean for them? And that's probably the big worry. So, yeah, balancing the optimism and caution is kind of what we're thinking about in high yield at this point in time. I mean, the optimism I've talked a little bit about there, the yields, the returns, the break-even, the potential returns, the defensive break-even. Yeah, the caution is the lower-rated part of the market because at some stage, you know, you'll hear all this talk about um, the maturity wall, or you, you may not, but if, if you haven't, the maturity wall is effectively, you know, when the bulk of the existing debt comes due. And it hasn't been this year. It's a little bit next year, but the majority of it on a global higher basis starts coming due in you know, 2025 onwards. And when that comes, a um, little bit like a, a, a homeowner having to come off their nice, attractive, uh, low fixed rate deal and reprice at the current rate of interest, you know, is it going to be a day of reckoning for the high yield market? Now, it ultimately, I mean, people get worried about defaults and pick up in the default. And that's just high yield. Like, you, we haven't had one of those, um, you know, proper default cycles for a very long time now. It's, it's something to be aware of, but not necessarily something to be afraid of. It just means you need to take an active approach. And like I say, our strategy has probably been to move up in quality and face uh, a lot more of our portfolio towards, uh, you know, the double B part of the market and really sort of get away from that triple C part of the market and that even that low single B, which is where more of that stress will lie. I, I mean, it always goes back to what we were talking about in terms of interest rates remaining a bit higher for longer. People have forgotten that um, defaults are not an unusual thing in this part of the market. And actually, they've been unusually low for a long period of time and probably going back to more normal levels. And therefore, you've just got to be more careful about what you pick over and what you pick up to put in the portfolios. I guess yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think that's the, you know, high yields companies are more levered by nature. They are more prone to default. That is quite clear. But it is normal to go through a default cycle. And in many ways, I actually think it's quite healthy for the market. Because back to my sort of original point in this section, you know, you've had years and years of, Pretty much anyone, I mean, that's probably overgeneralizing a little bit, but being able to get access to finance. And that means companies that, you know, otherwise perhaps might have struggled have, have, have been able to continue. Now, you know, if you are a poorly run company or have poor management or a poor business model or whatever it might be, and you, you know, you, you, you should face these pressures and the market should exert that uh, upon you. So in many ways, if you see a cleansing of sort of perhaps some of the poorer credits, actually think about it as quite healthy sign for the high yield market but just because defaults are going to rise i don't think it means investors should avoid high yield what i do think it means is they should find a manager who's active who's a good stock picker uh that who can avoid um a lot of if not all of of those defaults thank you and talking of being good stock pickers you and mark benbow run this portfolio and you've got a team of analysts i think at agon haven't you so how, how do you all work together um, in terms of doing that stock picking, doing that research, and who, who does what and who's resp- responsible for the, the final decisions, et cetera? Well, the final decisions rest with me and Mark as, as the fund managers of the portfolio, but we do think of it as very much a, um, a collegiate and collaborative process with the team. Um, but the way, we, the way we pitch it, you know, we'll say that global high yield is it's a very big universe, and, and it really is. You know, we're trying to pick best ideas from all around the world. Um, and that universe is, get the exact number now, but around $2.5 trillion in size, 1,500-odd issuers, um, more than 3,000 issues, right? There's a lot of grounds to cover. So, you know, we've got a lot of analysts around the globe. We've got 13 or 14 dedicated high-yield credit analysts. Um, 
it's a discussion between us all, right? They can suggest ideas to us. We can suggest ideas to them. What's important is that we um, we have that discussion together and we arrive at, you know, a solution that, you know, we're all comfortable with for inclusion in the portfolio. I think, you know, we have quite a high conversion rate of, of getting our analyst ideas into the portfolio. And, you know, they know um, that even if Mark and I are being defensive, if they do have perhaps more, shall we say, uh, higher octane idea for this environment, um, look, if there's a case for it, and if there's, um, you know, a, a thesis that stacks up or a catalyst or anything like that, you know, we'll find a way to include that in the portfolio. So it's very much, you know, a best ideas portfolio, best ideas from around the globe. We think it's about 80%, 78% driven by the bottom up, um, but the, with the rest being made up by a sort of structured top-down approach. So yes, it's Mark and I that pick the stocks and put the ideas in the portfolio, but it is very much part of a, a global team and approach to, to running global high yield. And in terms of the, the the markets, I mean, you said you're bottom up stock picking. What is it that worries you? What is it that keeps you as a team awake at night in terms of obviously central banks raising interest rates, you know, for a year and a half straight has not been an easy time. But what is it today that keeps you worried and, and in your team meetings discussing the what ifs, if you like? Well, I think as hire managers, I don't think necessarily any of us ever sleep well, quite frankly, because there's always, <laughs> always things we're worried about. But um, in particular, what worries us, I think it would just be you know tangential to what I was describing before. We're, we're coming into this environment where you just, I mean, it's always about the bottom up in high yield. You always need to be on top of your single name stock picks. But, you know, there was a stat out there, I can't remember who it was, Fitch or one of the racing agencies saying, Look, a lot of these companies, if you reprice their current debt, so current market rates, are not going to be able to make, um, you know, are not going to be able to, to, to meet their maintenance capex and their interest payments. Now, that's an alarming stat. Um, so for what, me, what keeps me up at night is my performance and or our performance, I should say, uh, making sure we can continue to deliver that for our clients and making sure we are absolutely on top of our credits in this new environment uh, and avoiding those that go bad because that's obviously how you're going to define yourself as you move through a cycle. Now, I always ask uh, whoever I'm interviewing about a statistic. You just give me one from Fitch or, or, or someone yeah. about... Um, I've got plenty more I can give you. But... Go on, give, 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 give us an interesting one from the last week or so that uh, outside of the one we've already had. And, well, uh... Okay, well, the most interesting one for me for the last week is, you know, we're, we're a bit nerdy in bond world, but as a fund flow data is something that we want. What's happening with retail flows? Um, because that contributes to you know, the technical environment, the environment of strength or, or otherwise. Uh, and we've been used to seeing some pretty separate fun flows, but uh, it was actually, I think it was the Barclays strategist that pointed that out to me. Um, you know, we have seen major, major inflows into European high yield. And the past two weeks have seen two out of the biggest three uh, positive flows for European high yield since the pandemic. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure anyone saw that coming. So, one of the things you've got to keep your eye on, um, but certainly that is a material, um, a material shift actually in in sort of you know what can be regarded as a gauge for marginal investor sentiment at this point. So, so pe- people having a look at it, thinking uh, maybe being paid seven and a half percent short term while we see what pans out with the interest rate cycle, and if the interest rates start coming down, I'll get a flip up from there in terms of the capital return as well. Yeah, I think actually the yields the yields are a little bit higher on the on the fund than that. Um, yeah. I think the I think the other thing I tell you the other thing that's interesting is um, so obviously we, we speak to a lot of clients and 
I kind of alluded Jock, to it already, is that, you know, when you look at high yields, you got to look at two things. You're looking at the overall yield, of course you are, but you're looking at the spread, right, the credit spread on the market. And I think one thing that we've heard resoundingly from clients so far this year is that, right, Tom, we kind of like your market on yield, but, you know, the spread's not where we want it to be. And in fact, spreads have actually just gone sort of 50 bips tighter over the past few weeks. So you didn't like it before, you perhaps might like it even less now. Um, what we did actually was just go back through the last 20 years and look at various different economic scenarios and what the sort of spreads were at those points and what the starting yields to worst is. And then compare that starting yield to worst to the subsequent five-year forward annualized return. So effectively what you get um, per year for five years forward. Yep. And your yield to worst is an uncannily good predictor of what your five-year forward return will be. So the point I'm trying to make here is that not you shouldn't look at spreads. Of course, you should look at spreads. Spreads are your arbitrary credit risk in the market. You absolutely need to know what they're pricing in and whether they're giving you a good deal or not. But you can think about high yield another way, I suppose, back to the very point at the beginning of this. And that is, if my starting yields are worse, it is a good predictor of my five-year forward analyzed return. Am I happy with getting an eight and a half or eight or whatever the number is we, we agree on um, return for the next five years. And I think most people would agree it, it, it probably would be, wouldn't it? So, you know, it's it's another way of thinking about high yields um, and certainly another way of just sort of underlining how this enhanced yield, envir yield environment can deliver uh, returns for clients. The caveat being, of course, you know, all of these uh, environments we've looked at, you know, there's been some subsequent uh, volatility you have to hold through that volatility in order to, to deliver that that five-year annualized return but file tends to be quite good at that when it sells off it bounces back very quickly i.e it when it gets cheap it doesn't stay cheap forever um unlike perhaps some parts of the equity market we can say I, I think that's a great place to finish on thank you for that tom so i mean broadly speaking if you're prepared to have a bit of volatility and sit through that volatility you can expect uh, based on history, to get a pretty decent return over the next three to five years without doing a lot, just sitting yeah, tight. Exactly, exactly that. Tom, that's a, a, an absolutely great place to finish. Thank you for that. Um, all that remains for me, uh, Jock Glover, is to thank you uh, for your thoughts and insights today um, and to thank the listeners uh, for your report, uh, for your support. If you would like to contact us, please do so via our webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com or by emailing us at info at This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity. And it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.